Well, hello, my name's Phil Wilfew and I'm part of the leadership team at King's Arms. And for those that have never met me before, I look forward hopefully to meeting you in person soon. And we are continuing our new series called Thrive, Living Whole and Healthy in a Post-Lockdown World. And today we are lasering in on the subject of dealing with doubt and unbelief. And I think for many people in this pandemic, it has thrown up for them the big questions of life. They've began to reevaluate their faith, began to reevaluate what's really important to them. And for Christians and those who don't yet know Christ, big questions of belief have come into the frame again. And the reality is all of us at some point in our lives will have to come face to face with dealing with issues of doubt and unbelief. I remember the first time where I gave a prophetic word to someone and it turned out not to be true. As a young young man just learning to hear God, I remember that happening. And I remember the months after that, just being beset with doubt about, can I hear God? Does God speak? Can I really hear him? Remember different seasons of sickness in our lives. Currently, my wife, Carol, has got a long-term illness. And during that period of time in our lives at the moment, I've had to battle with the doubts about, does God heal? What is God's will for our life? All of us at different points will come face to face with this issue of doubt and unbelief. And so we're going to laser in on that subject together today. And to help us, we're going to turn to the Bible and we're going to read together in Mark chapter 9 an encounter with someone who battled with doubt. So Mark chapter 9 and verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured, which means transformed before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And then the subsequent verses go on to describe this incredible mountaintop experience that three disciples had with Jesus. Fast forward a few verses to verse 14. When they came down to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at their mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to try and kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed violently and came out. 
The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. An amazing, amazing encounter. And right at the heart of it, we've got this grapple with unbelief. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And so we're going to look at two things today and we're going to try and cover a lot of ground. Firstly, what are the causes of unbelief? And secondly, what are the cures for unbelief? The causes of unbelief and then the cures of unbelief. So firstly, what are the sources or the causes of unbelief and doubt in our lives? Well, in this story, I think you can identify at least three causes of doubt and unbelief. And if you get all of these uh, after we've gone through them, you can shout bingo at the end. So firstly, the first source of unbelief and doubt is disappointment. Disappointment. And we see this showing up, I would suggest, in nine of the disciples of Jesus. Nine of the disciples of Jesus who were, were down the bottom of the mountain, toiling away, trying to bring freedom to this man's son and yet unable to do so whilst three of their mates were up the mountain with Jesus, having an extraordinary encounter with Jesus being transfigured and transformed before their very eyes. And so nine of them are toiling away while the other three are having an exclusive experience with Jesus up the mountaintop. Well, I would propose to you that the source of the nine disciples' doubt and unbelief was perhaps rooted in their disappointment over the experience that they had not been able to share in with Jesus up the mountain. Jesus chose three of his 12 disciples to share in an exclusive experience where they got to see him in his pre-existent eternal glory. They got to meet Moses and Elijah. They saw Jesus transfigured before their eyes amazing encounter and yet Jesus only shares it with three of them the other nine are left at the bottom of the mountain doing the dishes doing the tidying up doing the normal stuff of life and it's interesting isn't it that Jesus tells this story numbers of time he he gives exclusive experiences to some of his disciples that he doesn't necessarily give to everybody else You know, if it was us, we put everybody evenly on a rotor so that everybody got an even chance of having the same encounter. But Jesus doesn't do that. Sometimes he deliberately creates environments where the inner condition of our heart gets exposed. And so often the way our inner, uh, the condition of our heart gets exposed is when we see the successes and victories and triumphs of other people. Because what's inside us is, I wish that had been my experience. And for the disciples, they encounter unbelief and offence through this experience in their life. And if you read the rest of uh, the account in Mark 9 and particularly in Luke's account in Luke chapter 9, you see a whole host of heart issues coming up in the disciples because they didn't share this experience with Jesus. We see a lack of revelation. We see jealousy. We see competition. We see exclusivity. We see an abuse of power. Suddenly the inner working of their heart gets exposed because three of them got a victory that the others wanted. See, sometimes our offence with God is the root of our doubt and unbelief. Another root of our unbelief and doubt can be simply emotional depletion. 
And in this story, right at the heart of the story, you've got this father whose son has been afflicted ever since the day of his birth. And the father's had to watch his son suffering for many, many years. And the father, I would suggest to you, is emotionally done in. We read this in verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. From childhood. Just imagine what it's like to be a father watching his own son since childhood suffering in such a way. And the reality is, is the attritional effect of emotional pressure can cause us to hit moments of doubt and unbelief. In our life. Sometimes our faith and our expectancy of God to move just wears out. And that is because we are housed in a frail thing called humanity. As I said earlier, my wife Carol suffers from a long-term physical illness, and there are moments in our life where our faith levels just wear out because of the emotional attrition of living with pain day after day after day. And that's one of the reasons why during a global pandemic, so many have had these anxieties and doubts over their faith crop up, perhaps in a way that they've never cropped up before, because this season has been so intensely draining. All of us have lived with the background of uncertainty in our lives, whether we've been directly affected by COVID and perhaps loved ones dying or being sick, or whether we've just lived in this environment of pressure and uncertainty. I mean, just remember those days early on in the pandemic of just watching the daily death tolls. And you cannot just watch daily death tolls each day without that having an emotional effect on your heart. This is draining stuff. I know, I've, I've had more mood swings this last 12 months than my adolescent self. In fact, I've probably had more mood swings this year because I've been up and down, up and down, simply because it's been emotionally draining and attritional. You know, our environment for many of us this year has been isolation, lack of routine, poorer physical health, for some of us dealing with bereavement, sickness, job uncertainty, overanalyzing everything, hearing the worst news from around the world every single day, loss of achievement, loss of purpose, sometimes boredom, sometimes loneliness. No wonder some of us have suffered with also doubt and unbelief because your emotions take a hit and it has a knock-on effect on the rest of life. And this is being human. All of us have encountered this in one way or another, like the father in this story. And then the third source of unbelief and doubt can simply be cultural pressure. Jesus says in verse 19, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I put up with you? Jesus identifies in this story, not just the personal unbelief and doubt in his disciples or in the father. He says, there is a whole generation that is unbelieving. And the reality is that we are fed doubt and unbelief because of the cultural environment in which we now live. We live in a whole generation that's unbelieving. And I tell you what, that affects us in hundreds of ways every single day without us even realizing. Doubt is not just a personal problem, it's a systemic and it's a cultural problem. We are surrounded by doubt. We're living in a culture of doubt. 
You know, right now, if you're watching this in the UK, certainly you are living in an environment, a cultural environment, which is rampantly anti-God, deconstructionist, distrusting of authority, humanist and secular. That is the culture you're living in. You are no longer living in a Christian culture with a Christian narrative. You are living in a deconstructionist culture with an anti-God narrative that entirely sees the world through a secular lens. That's the culture you live in. And so whether you turn onto the news, whether you turn onto your social media, whether you're in conversations with your friends, whether it's the billboards that you see as you drive, buy in your car, whatever you are surrounded by, it is coming with a cultural narrative of unbelief and distrust in God. And doubt is often is what drives faith deconstruction. And those doubts can come from personal experiences, personal hurts, but they are certainly accelerated by a cultural narrative of unbelief. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience in your car where the tracking on your car is out. And tracking is the thing that keeps your steering wheel, the, 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 your car kind of going in a straight line. But sometimes when the tracking goes out, you just notice that your car starts to veer towards the left or the right if the tracking is out of kilter. And in those moments, you have to grab hold of the steering wheel and make sure you steer straight. And if you took your hands off, then the car would end up in a ditch. Well, I would suggest to you that that is a picture of the culture in which we live in. If you just do nothing and take your hands off the steering wheel of your faith, if you stop pursuing God, if you stop reading the word, if you stop living in Christian community, if you stop fighting the good fight for your faith, if you just take your hands off the steering wheel and you listen and are affected by the cultural narrative, I tell you where you're going to end up. You're going to end up in the spiritual ditch, in the ditch of unbelief and the ditch of doubt. The challenge for us in this season is we have to keep our hands on the steering wheel of our faith and deliberately pursue God with all of our hearts to become worshippers, lovers of God, those who are filled with his spirit, those who are living by his presence. Because otherwise, an unbelieving generation will just steer you in another direction entirely. So these are the three sources of doubt, disappointment, emotional depletion, and cultural narrative. Well, what are the cures for doubt? Well, let me just mention three really briefly. Number one, honesty. How do you deal with unbelief in your heart? Well, you've got to be honest. You've got to get really honest with God and honest with other people. And I love the bravery of the Father in this story. It's so challenging and inspiring. Verse 24 in this story. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus enters into the story in that moment with power. The moment of that father's authenticity. I believe, but I've still got unbelief. That's the moment where Jesus steps in. And this is the first cure where we have doubts and where we have unbelief. And ultimately, the church is meant to be a community where people find freedom to express their doubts to one another. Now, obviously, the church is a community of faith. It's a community of belief. But it should also be a safe place where Christians and those that don't yet know Christ can actually say, I'm really struggling with this aspect of my faith. And for it to be a safe environment to do that. And it's amazing to me how intolerant the church has historically been with people who have doubts. 
And it's for that reason that when people have doubt, often the church is the last place they go to express them because they're afraid they're going to meet with rejection and judgment and control. The truth is the community of God should be a place where we can be honest and authentic and take our mask off and say, this is how I am really feeling rather than encountering the moral high ground. Do you know it's possible to be so right that you're wrong? We can sometimes believe the right things, but not actually express the spirit of what we believe. But the church should be a place that both believes what is right, but also does what is right. That we we express the heart of God, which is love, towards those that are struggling. One uh, writer put it this way in his uh, evangelical American church setting. He says this, simply put, American evangelicalism—it's hard to say—American evangelicalism is often about conformity, not community. It's about sameness, not unity. Those deconstructing their faith are often seen as threats to be managed rather than human beings and fellow believers who need community and support. Many believers who are deconstructing their faith inside of white evangelical culture are understandably cautious about who they share their doubts with because of realities like rejection. Some never make it through the journey. Instead, their faith is destroyed by evangelicals attempting to control and dehumanize them. Well, friends, let me tell you, if that has been your experience in the church, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. The church should be a place where you are welcomed with loving arms and you receive acceptance even in the midst of your doubts and your faith struggles. It should be a place where people come alongside you and can point you to Jesus and love you on the journey. And that's what Jesus does with the Father in this story. Notice he doesn't try and control the Father. He doesn't try and dehumanize the Father. He doesn't reject the Father just because he admits he has some doubts. No, Jesus does the opposite. He enters the story. He enters the pain and he brings the solution. This man's admission actually invites Jesus onto the page. And maybe for some of you, the answer is not to withdraw from church, but actually is to step foot into community and say, hey, I'm struggling with a few doubts right now. I have some areas of unbelief in my life and I I just, I need some help. Will you love me through it? Friends, that's the kind of community we want King's Arms to be. You know, I remember going for a walk once with Simon early on in uh, our move to King's Arms. And he said to me, he said, Phil, he said, I feel like you're holding back in the prophetic. Why are you holding back? And I remember making a decision to be really honest on that occasion. And I said to him, Simon, I'm holding back because I'm afraid. He's like, what are you afraid of? I said, I'm afraid I'm going to be rejected if I get it wrong. And I tell you what, that led to some amazing freedom from me, but it started from an admission of vulnerability and an admission of fear. And I want to invite you to come in, to come in if you have doubts and seek help because it's the start of finding freedom. Uh, The second cure for unbelief in this story is to trust Jesus and step towards him trust Jesus and step towards him. 
Verse 27, it says, Jesus took him by the hand, this young boy, and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Do you know, the answer to our doubt is to step towards Jesus. You know, if you step towards a deconstructionist agenda, you step towards the cultural narrative, it's not going to feed your faith. It's actually going to confirm your doubts and your unbelief. And so many people get entrenched in doubt and unbelief simply because they fed themselves on the wrong diet. And I tell you, whatever you feed is going to grow. If I was to eat McDonald's every single day in my life, my body would begin to look a lot like what it was being fed on. And ultimately, what you feed on is going to grow in your life. And when we have doubt and unbelief, actually, it's an invitation to step closer to Jesus. You know, Doubting Thomas is often a model held up to us of how not to do it. You know, Doubting Thomas was the guy who heard about the resurrection, but refused to believe it unless he could put his fingers in the nail marks on Jesus' body. And Thomas gets a bad rap sometimes. But what we forget to realize is that Jesus saw Thomas's doubts, had compassion on him, and actually granted Thomas's request. He says to Thomas, Listen, you are more blessed if you believe without seeing, but Thomas, I know that this is what you need. Step towards me and you can touch the nail prints in my body. That's John chapter 10. See, Jesus is so kind. He is so kind to us in our moments of doubt and unbelief. If we will step towards him, he's like, yeah, you're stepping towards me and I am stepping towards you. I'm going to meet you where you need me to speak and where you need to be God to you in this moment. What if our doubts are not actually roadblocks? What if they're actually invitations to encounter God? You know, what if the doubts or unbelief that you're struggling with right now actually is not a roadblock to Jesus, but an invitation if you'll bring it to him? If you'll say to him, Jesus, I'm battling with this. What if that would be an invitation? What if those moments of our deconstruction are actually moments of reconstruction if we will choose to step towards Christ and walk in relationship with him? Friends, if you've given up praying, I would invite you to start praying again. If you've given up reading the Word of God, I'd invite you to start reading the Word of God again. If you've stopped listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, I'd invite you to start listening to the Holy Spirit again. Step towards Jesus, because these are moments of grace and moments of rescue. And then the last cure for unbelief, and I've really mentioned it, is just we've got to feed our faith. Feed our faith. Whatever you feed is going to get bigger in your life. So remind yourself of the works of God. You know, I think the disciples after this moment would have fed themselves by reminding each other of what happened when Jesus cured this son. They would have told the stories of faith. And listen, if you can't remember your own stories of faith, find friends who can speak faith to you. Get friends around your dinner table or or around your camp chairs in your garden and get them to tell you stories of faith that build you up because this does us good in our moments of doubt and unbelief. So listen, in conclusion, all of us face doubt, all of us face unbelief at different points in our life. Often it's fed by our own disappointment, our own offense with God. It's it's fed sometimes just by the cultural narrative around us. And sometimes it's just, it's it's, it's fed by uh, emotional weariness. And the cures are honesty, 
get real, step into community. It's cured by stepping towards Jesus, trusting him, seeing your doubt as an invitation to God to break through. And then thirdly, it's cured by feeding your faith. And so as you listen to these truths, I'd invite you into an encounter with Jesus today. And I'd love just to pray for you really briefly. Father, I just pray for anyone who's watching these words right now, who's battling with doubt, who's battling with unbelief, who maybe like this father says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would rush in with compassion and with faith and with power. You are not a God who rejects those who struggle. You're a father of love who helps us in our moments of doubt. And so Holy Spirit, I just welcome you into the story right now. Help us, each one of us, when we may have struggles and doubts. And Lord, let this be a moment of reconstruction where the enemies brought lies. I pray now, Holy Spirit, will you bring truth and bring power for breakthrough. And I pray for that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you, friends. 